Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. You are in the Chatter Zone, episode number... 108. <laughs> Cheated again. I know, you? I looked at your paper. We've got Dr. Brian Kempel in the house tonight. He's from the Lyceum, and we're going to find out all about the Lyceum. And after... we have Brad Markham in the house, too. Yes. Yeah, I got turned on the Lyceum, oh, I guess it was this past summer. Had, and uh, we're going to hear more about that after we pray. Yeah. Okay, In the name of pray. the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O oh, most, most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I didn't mean to cut you off, Brad, but I knew once you got rolling, it would be all downhill. Because he's such a talker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Many thanks to our uh, sponsor over at Hotworks on Holiday Drive. That's right. You know, this is the time of year people are eating a little extra, so they might want to visit Hotworks and... Work that off. Sweat it out. Sweat it out. Yes. Anyway, so Brad, we'll cue you up again. You ran into the Lyceum and Dr. Kempel. Yeah, they had a natural law class they were offering over over the summer. Um, I guess it'd be called a seminar um, with Dr. Minard, who Augustine out at in Platteville had gotten me turned on to, um, who was doing some writing on Garigou Lagrange, and I found this. Well, Augustine showed it to me, but this philosophical institute that really piqued my interest, and that was the Lyceum Institute. Household names. Augustine and Platteville and Lyceum and, and <laughs> Dr. Campbell. Maybe in your household. <laughs> what, what I did on my summer vacation with Brad, Brad uh, Markham. So what did you think after you got into it? Uh, it's, it's great. It's uh, really a good intellectual outlet, and they're, they're trying some new things with... Um, digital education that I'm sure Dr. Brian can fill us in on what he's doing there. But Well, introduce Dr. Kempel, and uh, let's pick it up. Who, who is he and all of that? Why don't we let him answer that? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's, it's great to be here, and, and thanks, uh, uh, Brad, Tom, and, and Colleen. Uh, great to talk to you all and, and uh, reach some of your listeners. Um, happy to always happy to talk about the Lyceum Institute. In fact, some people might say I never talk about anything other than the Lyceum <laughs> Institute. Uh, but yeah, my, my name's uh, Brian Kempel. I, I received my PhD in philosophy from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas mm-hmm. with the Center for Thomistic Studies. And uh, oh, gosh, I guess it feels like it was just yesterday, but uh, it was uh, seven years ago at this point. Um, so I, I, uh, was fortunate enough to, to study with some really great people, uh, both at the Center for Thomistic Studies and I did my undergraduate at a very small school that sadly no longer exists, uh, known as, as Southern Catholic College, which was in mm. Georgia. Mm. Uh, it only ran for a few years, but I was also very fortunate to study with some great people there. And uh, have just really had a, a strong love of, of learning and philosophy for for really since I was about 15 years old. Uh, so I, I've always wanted that to be an integral part of my life. 
And unfortunately, after, or maybe fortunately, as it turns out, uh, after I received my PhD and was on the job market, uh, there simply were no opportunities for me to find a job. Uh, over, over a couple of years on the job market, uh, I put out many, many, many applications, and I just wasn't the right fit for too many places. So at that point, I kind of thought, you know, okay, I, I don't think I'd really be happy doing anything other than philosophy. I think I could go get some other job and be kind of uh, miserable doing it and really spend all of my time at that job thinking philosophical thoughts. Or I can try to find a way to, to bring philosophy into other avenues of life. And so I, I was doing a little private tutoring at the time, and I was doing it online. Uh, this would have been 2018, 2019. Right. And I was finding that there are people who just had some interest in philosophy without pursuing a degree in it mm -hmm. or needing to pass a class in it. And I thought, you know, if there's, there's a few people like this out there, I bet there are more. So why don't I see if I can find some of them? And that was really the seed for the Lyceum Institute. Uh, just sort of realizing that, well, you know, that people have a thirst. They, they want to think better. They want to study these great thinkers. They want to sharpen their own intellects. And, and maybe I can help facilitate a little bit of that. So, um, I really, there's a whole lot more to this story. Uh, one of these days, I'll write it all up. Um, so but, am I to understand, yeah, per, Doctor, that you started this uh, in a in a virtual sense on a in a one on one environment? Yeah, well, you know, I, I lived uh, after I, I graduated uh, with my PhD. I went to, to Boston, Massachusetts, for a while, mm -hmm. some job that didn't really pan out. And there, I mean, there's so many people in academics and in schools in Boston that I I actually just started tutoring there in person. Uh, sure. And after I, after I moved away, I was continuing with some of the students that I picked up and continued with them online. And I thought, you know, really, it works just as well online to do one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, you maybe lose a little something. Uh, I think it's harder to do things like, say, tutor in language online, and we'll come around to that, I think, at some point later in the show, perhaps. Uh, but certainly you, you can get, have good conversations with people and you can really uh, focus in on, on thinking and on philosophy. And so it started one-on-one -on -one and I thought, well, let me offer some seminars. Let me see if I can't get a group together. Uh, so in summer of 2019, I offered a couple of seminars, on, on one on, on the thought of uh, Thomas Aquinas and another on the thought of Martin Heidegger, um, going to some opposite ends of the spectrum in some ways there. Um, and, and they were reasonably successful that I thought, yeah, okay, let me give this a, a real go. And uh, so 2019, in the fall, I, I offered more seminars. And and 2020, there were even more and started offering Latin not long after that and then building a program in study of the trivium. And it just keeps on growing uh, one day at a time, it seems. So I can tell you one of the advantages of one of the things I struggled just being in a small city in Dubuque is finding someone to study Latin with. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just a huge advantage there. We just did a, I did a medieval um, scholastic Latin class. And what do we do? A couple sight reading sessions a week. And we have Dr. Kempel reviewing and critiquing our translations. So mm. if people are looking to, 
to learn one of these ancient languages the way we were taught a hundred years ago, um, mm-hmm. it's a really good advantage, mm-hmm. advantageous way to, to do that. So. You know, Pat Madrid on his show was just talking about um, how young people should learn Latin. And it's a good thing it's a dead language because it helps them just kind of learn how to think, how to order their thinking. Um, so that was his argument for why young people should learn Latin. I thought that was interesting, that it would order your thinking. Dr. Campbell, yeah, talk I, to that aspect of a, a dead language and the advantage of, of a language like uh, Latin or classical Greek that uh, it is... Yeah, I, I think these classical languages, these ones that aren't aren't spoken, um, you know, you're not going to go out on the street and hear people conversing in these languages. Um, you don't fall into to quite the same bad habits of unthinking use of the language. Uh, so much of of uh, what you find when people say say you're going to learn a new language today, you're going to learn Spanish, and you pick up, I don't know, one of these online programs, Duolingo or something like that, whatever's out Babble. there. <laughs> Duolingo. Babble. Duolingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it really, it's not teaching you the, the language as such. It's teaching you to use the language. Right? Not to understand the language, but to be able to communicate practical wants and desires and to exchange messages and you can gain a kind of fluency that way and i think there's an an advantage to learning some languages that way certainly in expedience Mm -hmm. but in terms of really thinking i mean the really learning the grammar and the syntax and really learning how these parts fit together and especially in something like like latin or greek where you have these very complex grammatical rules that you really do need to dive into deeply to gain mastery over that language so that you can you know read cicero or read augustine and figure out how all these parts really fits together Uh, it does require a kind of intellectual dexterity that we today very seldom receive in our Mm -hmm. education Mm -hmm. with respect to language right and i always had a hard time with uh high school latin and and then I was humiliated understanding that three-year-olds in Rome uh, were able to speak it <laughs> 2,000 years ago. Well, you know, there's there's no humility without humiliation, as I like to say. That's so. right. A lot like, of that going on. But, you know, in our culture today, we have dumbed down language so much. We you know, you got Twitter, mm-hmm. and you can only express yourself in so many characters. And then you've got all the abbreviations on the text stuff, and everything's an acronym. And we really have lost any idea of eloquent communication or orderly communication yeah I bl- I all the agree memes with you know yeah. they're all use bad yeah. language right well and that spills yeah. right into the trivium which is one of the specialties of the lyceum so i don't know if you want to talk about that a little dr brian yeah well and, and really i mean this ties very much into the the digital environment the digital atmosphere that we all um whether we like it or not today breathe on a daily basis uh, you know that even if you're you are not on twitter or facebook or anything online other people around you are and so in as much as you relate to those other people you inhabit something of the same environment uh, this the digital world in which we live is one uh, that really bombards us with so much communication and really 
so much more than any generation of human beings has experienced in life. I mean, it, there are some people who go from the moment they wake up till the moment they go to sleep mm -hmm. engaged in communication somehow, mostly right. receiving it passively through scrolling through their phones or what have you. But they're receiving all this, this constant communication, and yet they don't really understand the means of that communication because they haven't been educated in the arts of language. And so part of what we're, we're looking at you know, with the Lyceum that we're trying to offer and, and develop for people is really a way to recapture that kind of education, to recapture a deep study of grammar, logic, and rhetoric so as to allow people the mastery over language that they can understand this communication that they are constantly surrounded. Uh, that constantly surrounds them, that's constantly bombarding them, that's messaging things to them all the time, that demands of them that they respond with some kind of message. Uh, we, we really, really need, uh, I think, this sort of education more than ever. And <laughs> sadly, it's probably less available than ever. Uh, then go deeper on that uh, logic rhetoric mm -hmm. composition um, is that even offered taught required in in secondary or post-secondary uh, schools doctor uh, you, you'll get a smattering of grammar and composition in your, your secondary and post-secondary education um, at really the most basic and fundamental, um, not even fundamental, I should say, the most basic, can we get you to kind of communicate your thoughts <laughs> in writing? Mm -hmm. uh, not, not to communicate them correctly or in a way which observes rules that allow you to make precise distinctions or anything of that nature. Uh, but certainly it's an extraordinarily rare thing to find a school of higher education or even uh, high school higher education that requires logic of its students and virtually none of them require or insist upon any kind of education in rhetoric so what you find i think with most people's um, abilities to to communicate um I'm I'm tempted a little bit to rant, and I probably shouldn't. Go uh, ahead. But I think we love a, a rant. Of, yeah. <laughs> as long as it's under there's four minutes. Of, yeah, <laughs> under, yeah uh, keep it on, keep it under <laughs> four minutes here. Where that's the break. That's a tough one. Uh, okay, so to to rant briefly and intensely, uh, there's this false romanticization of language, as though it's really rooted in original emotional expression as though the purpose of language is simply to convey your own original thoughts with whatever passion or fervor or ardor that you can. It's that kind of dead poet society uh, illusion as to what education is or as to what the love of language is or ought to be. Mm -hmm. And this you know, just really results in a lot of um, trite, meaningless nonsense being put forward in, in the written word and an inability of most people to, to engage thoughtfully with the things that they read um, because they're never taught how. They're never uh, encouraged to. They don't understand how to break down a sentence so as to understand the relations of the different parts. Going back again to that point about Latin, um, that, you know, English, is, English grammar is no less complicated than Latin grammar. There's maybe a few fewer names for different parts, but there's many more exceptions to rules that have to be mastered as well. 
and so this complex relation of parts uh, in the, of, of speech and um, how they fit together and uh, phrases and clauses and subordinate clauses and all the different ways in which we can uh, express ourselves. Um, not understanding this has led to just uh, the, the kids who are coming out of high school today, um, most of them as a great professor uh, that that I knew from the center for or for the University of St. Thomas, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Theodore Rebard, mm -hmm. uh, he liked to say that incoming freshmen know less than nothing. Um, <laughs> they would be better off if they knew nothing than what they mm -hmm. think they know, and it's quite true. Um, they've they've never really been taught much of anything. <laughs> sad to say, and it's a it's a struggle that we we are in a constant battle against today. I would say. I heard that um, a local college was considering removing any um, requirements that students would write complete sentences, use correct grammar. This is in college. They had that mm -hmm. discussion. Now they decided, no, we really need to keep that standard in there. We really need to correct grammar and punctuation and sentences. But the fact that a college would even have that conversation astounded me well how can you be thinking if you don't have the language yeah. you just can't be thinking properly yeah so so is that a case of if we can't hit the object we just lower our expectations <laughs> uh, yeah um and and that's extremely prevalent in education today right so let's let's keep our numbers up let's keep our percentages up let's make sure we're graduating everyone uh, so that a lot of it's probably driven by funding, I think. Right. Um, but, which, but, uh, but what you get in the end is the lowest common denominator. Mm. That's what you get in oh, the yeah. end. Right. <laughs> well, I think we're about ready to get wound up in the episode two now that we've laid the groundwork for all yes. of the things that aren't quite right with yes. higher education. And when we come back with Dr. Brian Kempel, we're going to ask him the Lyceum Institute. What the heck does that mean? So, so stay tuned to find out what there Lyceum... There must be a better, better grammar way oh, yeah. to say that. Oh, yeah. Boy, that was <laughs> bad, wasn't it? <laughs> we'll be right back after this on The Chatter. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. We're back. <laughs> We're back with Dr. Brian Kempel from the Lyceum Institute, and we ended the previous segment by saying, what in the heck? Lyceum well, Institute? at least one of us said okay, that. Okay, well, I said it. I said it. So, Dr. Kempel, please tell us a little bit, what does Lyceum Institute, well, what does Lyceum mean? How did you come up with that name? And what does it imply about your institute? Yeah, it's it's not a terribly original name. Uh, there there are um, for aficionados of history and particularly Greek history, it will doubtless be a familiar name, as it was one of the two great schools founded, uh, let's say, in and around the city of Athens in the golden age of Greece. The other being Plato's Academy, uh, which was handed over to to one of his uh, to his nephew upon Plato's death, and so Plato's greatest student, who was not his nephew, but Aristotle, uh, when Aristotle returns to Athens some years later, he founded his own school outside the city walls, 
which he named the Lyceum. And so choosing a, a name for, for the institute uh, that I was deciding to found, I thought, well, you know, I'm, everyone's familiar with the academy today. And mm -hmm. the academy is a name often used to describe higher education in broad terms. Well, we're doing something different. We are outside the walls, as it were. So let's call it the Lyceum. Not to mention I'm much more of an Aristotelian than a Platonist anyway, so I figure it's a little bit more suitable. A smart man. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's there's I mean, really Western education, uh, the great tradition that has largely today been abandoned, as we were just discussing, uh, does have deep Aristotelian roots. And uh, there's, there's a real, I think at the same time, um, desire for kind of rigor in our, our education today. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a number of online alternatives to traditional academia today, but uh, I think some of them lack some of the rigor that, that is, is kind of necessary to really recapture. You got the an tradition. example of that, Doctor? What do, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't want to name any names, um, Go ahead. but you can, you can find a lot of uh, online schools and certifications and programs where people offer a course where you, you know, pay oftentimes an exorbitant amount of money for, you know, 12 lessons or something along those mm -hmm. lines. And while they might be informative, uh, I'm not really sure what they're producing in terms of the habits of the students themselves. So... Uh, I, I do think that it's it's good to to try and build something a little bit more rigorous and serious. Uh, that's that's the word we come back to quite frequently: is serious. We're, sure. We are for serious students, um, and so there's there's also just a tiny touch of irony in the name, uh, the the Lyceum, since we are a completely online, completely digital institute. Uh, Aristotle School was, was often known as the Peripatetics uh, because they would walk around while they had class. So <laughs> here we all are sitting on our butts um, uh, on our computers or what have you. Uh, but I suppose some people uh, in, in this digital age could be walking around at the same time. You plug your smartphone into it and go for a stroll and, and talk some philosophy. Brad, we've talked about from time to time uh, how generations historically maybe the time of uh, Socrates and Plato and, and uh, Aristotle and making a comparison to the average uh, student uh, domestically here in the United States but even even in Europe here uh, you know the amount of knowledge and, and the required education in those eras seem to be dramatically different than today's requirements. Well, yeah, on that point, um, one of the teachers at the Lyceum, right when I first signed up, I think, posted a, uh, I think it was a Latin grammar exam from the early 20th century, and it puts to shame graduate students of the 21st century. <laughs> Am I right about that? Yeah, I don't yeah. think I could pass the exam. Yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I suppose if I studied for it for, for a couple of months, maybe I'd be able to pull it off. But, uh, yeah, the the intensity of their knowledge, um, because it was something that was begun very early and reinforced, and uh, I think they lived in a world with many fewer distractions. Um and we're talking a time frame here, what, 120, 130, 40 years ago? 
Uh, even just, yeah, even just a hundred years ago. Just a hundred, nineteen twenty. Nineteen twenties, the the requirements were were much more uh, stringent. Um, <clears throat> think about the so, rigors of memory yeah. too. You know, I mean, like memorization. We don't have to do that anymore because we've got the phone that does it for us. Mm-hmm. How, how often do people mm-hmm. bring their phone? You know, my brother when we first f- smartphones first came out, he said, "I've got the solution to every bar argument." ever and he pulled out his phone and said here we go we got the answer <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's uh this has been a consistent theme in in a lot of our conversations at the lyceum for the last year is how much we take uh, difficulties that go along with with being human essentially uh, like remembering things and we find means to outsource them to a device, to someone else, to some system, some other program that we can sort of plug in and, and let it do that activity for us, which uh, undermines our humanity. Uh, and it's not to say that, you know, the smartphone can be a great invention in a lot of ways, maybe not as it's currently set up to be used, but, you know, sometimes you're going to forget things and it's nice to have something that remembers them for you. But if it displaces your memory instead of extending your memory, we've done something wrong with that technology. Uh, and I, I think more than, than anything else, what we find is that using that technology to take away the sort of labor of needing to memorize things, we end up finding other and worse uses for those technologies. So you have your smartphone. It's great. It has all your phone numbers in it. I used to know, you know, 20, 30, 40 phone numbers off the top of my head, mm-hmm. and today I can barely remember my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so what am I doing with that time that I might be spending, and that energy that I might be spending to remember things, to memorize them? Well, what am I, am I looking at cat videos on Instagram? <laughs> uh, am I getting into an argument on Twitter? Uh, sometimes. Um, we're using them to distract ourselves. And so instead of using them to intelligently extend our memory in the right ways for the right reasons, the right purposes, we've allowed this technology to to pull us into a really thoughtless environment. Uh, So part of what what the Lyceum's inspiration is, is how do we transform our existence in these digital environments to ones where the technology is actually benefiting us instead of taking away our very humanity. Can you give us an example of how you've done that practically, like a real-life example of taking some of that um, and applying it in a real-life situation? Well, uh, for for one thing, um, you know, digital technology, and I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here, but digital technology is essentially an archival capability. Uh, that the way everything digital works um, really is about being able to reduce information to simple indices whereby it's retained and can be reconstituted. And so um, one thing that we have with with, uh, courses, all the courses that we do at the Lyceum, seminars, language courses, trivium courses, uh, the class sessions are recorded. Uh, They're recorded and it automatically transcribes the courses, uh, the classes as well, the discussion sessions most especially. So you can use that, I think, to say, okay, you know, I remember there was a really good point that, say, uh, 
Brad raised a really good question yesterday, right? Can't remember exactly what he said, but I remember that he said it. Well, let's pull that back up. Let's mm -hmm. revisit that question, think it through again, think it through fresh, and see if we were just sort of caught up in the moment or if it actually was a good question. Is that something that we really needs to continue to revisit, to, to build on? Uh, so you can use these these technologies, yeah, to really sort of build up. Um, the way I like to look at it is a, a kind of uh, living repository of of wisdom. Uh, not that everything that's said is always going to be wise, uh, but it it's uh, always perhaps carried out in the spirit of loving wisdom, uh, of seeking it. And so we we might not have brilliant insights all the time, but if we do, we can. Uh, capture them and, and revisit them and build on them and really try and build up an, an understanding uh, beyond um, well let's say in, you know to, to, to recontextualize this a little bit in this world where we are constantly bombarded by new communications and distractions here we're, we're saying okay let's take these and, and build them instead of just letting them disappear into the ether one after another well, and that's one of the the great things about the Lyceum too was the it just has that it feels like you know in the digital world almost like the ancient Greek schools where it's a community of people that are interested in learning. It's just that philosophical outlook where you have a guide, you have a magister, you have a teacher that can walk you through things. Um, but it's people that are asking que <coughs> asking questions and living the philosophical life. So taking that what you just said, Brad. So then, who is a typical student? Who takes classes at the Lyceum? You have to have oh a PhD boy, in philosophy? <laughs> Typical is not the word uh, in some sense because we have, uh, I mean, really it's fascinating to me just how broad and diverse and fascinating and interest, uh, and it, very interesting group of people that have, have come to this. We have uh, stay-at-home moms. We have truck drivers. We have... Uh, retirees, we have PhDs in philosophy, we have PhDs in data science, medical doctors, lawyers, um, undergraduate students. We hit the whole range mm. and we're, you know, extremely uh, diverse in our backgrounds. Um, you know, we're, we have, uh, most of our members I would say are, are Catholic, but there's a handful of Protestants as well, and actually a, a good handful of Muslims um, who are also you know, just interested in the truth and philosophy and discussion and, and conversation. And uh, we, we actually have members in, in every inhabited continent in the world. Um, so we have uh, just a really eclectic group of people. Um, and sometimes your your best insights in a, a class discussion are going to come from the phds and sometimes they're going to come from the stay-at-home moms and the truck drivers mm -hmm. uh everyone's you know despite these this diversity is uh, genuinely united i would say in that that common love of wisdom and and the pursuit of intellectual virtue so talk a little bit about you said that you have some catholic students but they're not all catholic talk about how the mm -hmm. lyceum institute might lead non-Catholics um, to the fullness of truth in the Catholic faith. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's not part of our mission. We're not uh, an evangelical, um, you know, evangelizing sort of, of uh, uh, institution. Um, but I think you know, the truth has a way of of leading always to the same ends. 
And so, um, you know, let, actually, if, if I can, let me quote a member who is not Catholic to explain just what I mean. Uh, this, he wrote this um, some months ago, and, and hopefully I don't uh, <laughs> uh, offend him in any way by reading this. But he wrote that, I was reading Aristotle directly after a long time, having mainly read him through St. Thomas. There's such a spiritual intimacy there. He is someone in love with God, truth. Barely keeping himself together while being utterly drunk in love and bewilderment. I get the same with reading Aquinas. He's less remote, so it's clearer with him. But the saint's drunkenness is hidden well by his orderliness. Reading these guys is prayer. Now, for, for a non-Catholic hmm. to say that, <laughs> I think, um, mm -hmm. is extremely powerful. It kind of floored me when I read it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think that shows the, the point, right, that truth draws you into it mm -hmm. uh, regardless of where you are, um, mm -hmm. so long as you have the, the habits and the inclination to listen to that truth and to seek it out. Mm -hmm. I once heard someone describe, and it may be a famous philosopher, I can't remember where I read it, but that metaphysics was rational mysticism so it's the you know getting the mystical experience through using your reason mm. yeah I, I think um you know one of the the not to dwell on the negative too much let me take the negative and maybe spin it towards the positive one of the biggest problems with our whole educational environments today is that it has really taken as presupposed a kind of um, attitude that that Francis Baconian concept that knowledge is power, right? that it, you learn things so as to better determine your own life, you learn things so as to gain more control over yourself and your environment and over uh, the world around you. And while it certainly does, you know, knowledge is powerful, you can put it to all of these uses, you really lose the beauty of it when you take that for granted. And so when you study, um, you know, Thomas Aquinas, for instance, is, is a huge part, uh, you know, obviously being from the Center for Thomistic Studies, I have a bit of an affinity, uh, a huge part of our, our educational program, uh, the, the philosophy seminars that we teach. Um, and so Aquinas, you know, if you just look at it sort of superficially or from a distance or you just thumb too quickly through the, the pages of the Summa Theologia, you might think that, oh, this guy's just, he's writing a manual. It's very precise and clear and it's almost kind of analytic in its approach. But then you come across some of these other passages and you see uh, what this member is talking about, trying to this, this drunkenly in love with God, right? This, this inebriation um, with the beauty of what is true. And I think we, we want to portray and convey to people that that's what education really is for. Uh, um, you know, it's well, this vital act of the human soul. And I was just going to say, I can vividly remember the first time I read uh, Aristotle's On the Soul, and it your students quote there really hit that because it was just this epiphany this aha like this guy found it he figured it this is truth and you know inebriation and drunkenness is kind of the best way to describe it you know whether or not that totally captures it i don't know but um 
I've had those moments when reading these philosophers and I, I, the same is with Aquinas. I mean, you'll come across things too, where you're like, this is so simple. Uh, it's like the innocence of a five-year-old or innocence of a child. And I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but there's times where you read it and you just, I feel like this is a five-year-old talking, even though it's, you know, as brilliant of a thing you'll read, but yeah, well, it, it it is that sort of um, there's the the loss I think of worldly worry uh, when you hit those certain moments in your studies. Uh, you get that perspective of the eternal, true, and good, and yeah, it is it is a bit intoxicating. Um, unfortunately, well, there's no hangover, uh, so right. <laughs> it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think of what Aquinas said at the end of his life, you know, after he had the mystical mm-hmm. beatific vision, he uh, said, I've, everything I've written is but straw, and this is after the Summa was, well, almost completed. But That's amazing. That's amazing. We're nearly out of time, Colleen, in segment two of episode 108 on the Lyceum over in... Uh, well, I guess it's virtual, isn't it? Yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Dr. Brian Kempel's in the house. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about who else is in the Lyceum and how you might get signed up and all of that good stuff here on the chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD, show 108. I'm I'm ready for segment three. I took my brain outside and cooled it off (laughs) during the, because it's, it's, uh, it's swelling here with all of the, uh, well, I tell you, we philosophical. Probably, we probably should have warned people to stretch their brain a little bit before jumping into this segment because it's, it's very intellectual, but it's very good. I'm really enjoying the discussion here. So what's a, average day in the life at the lyceum doctor yeah um well it's just as eclectic as our members i suppose uh so to to give some idea of the programming that we offer in a little bit more of a concrete sense um, we have a few different sort of ways in which people can participate um Again, going back to that point about archivality and the retention of everything, Mm -hmm. uh, for all of our um, completed seminars, uh, of which I believe we've got 29 or 30 completed seminars now, I can't can't count very good, so I went into philosophy instead of something that required math. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, So for each each seminar, uh, it's an eight-week course of study, and there are eight lectures provided by the instructor, uh, which are pre-recorded and, and posted at the beginning of the week, uh, allowing individuals to fit it into their schedule when they can listen. Uh, there's also some assigned readings, um, ranging in 
length and difficulty depending upon the topic of the seminar from very introductory to extremely advanced um, kind of graduate level uh, coursework. Uh, and then there's a discuss discussion session, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at least once a week, uh, usually on Saturdays uh, when people are uh, hopefully not at work, um, to uh, bring together the material that's been read and that's been heard in the lecture. Um, but we preserve all of these. So even if you can't fit it into your schedule to participate in a seminar live when it's being taught, mm -hmm. uh, you can always go and listen to the lectures and do the readings and, and sort of work your way through the material yourself and still ask questions of the instructors or others who have participated in these classes um, to, to work through some of those topics uh, as well. That's wonderful. Um, sort of asynchronously. If um yeah, if so, one I mean, of our listeners or if some of our interest listeners are interested in taking these classes, how would they do that? Yeah, well, we we have everything um, online, as mentioned. Uh, we we use Microsoft Teams as an environment through which uh, all the materials right. can be accessed. Um, so someone can enroll at any level of membership. We have three different tiers, um, which include uh, different benefits. Um, for, from a basic membership to an advanced and then a premium. Uh, but at any of the tiers, you can have access to all of the recorded seminars. Uh, and so they would enroll yeah. by going to the lyceum.institute? Is that where they would go? Yeah, just lyceum.institute. Okay, L-Y-C-E-U-M. Um, L-Y-C-E-U-M dot institute. My gosh, he's got it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so uh, once once enrolled, uh, members can participate in these seminars live. They can go to the archives. Uh, every member gets access to uh, all of the Trivium courses as well at any level of membership. And what are the uh, Trivium well courses? Latin. Yeah, so we uh, we actually are expanding them this year. Um, we previously just had three courses. We're going to expand to a series of eight courses, uh, which will be taught in two-year cycles, with two courses in grammar and composition, two courses in logic, and two courses in rhetoric, and then an advanced course in the philosophy of logic, and an advanced course in the grammatical and rhetorical aspects of literature and philosophy, uh, which are forthcoming at a time TED. But yes, these courses will, will uh, take someone uh, with really any level of experience, um, you know, in, in the study of, of uh, grammar and, and logic and rhetoric and doctor, uh, do give we, them an do introduction. We need, and doctor, do we need to yes. define those courses for the listeners since it's been some generations? Can, can we define mm -hmm. grammar and composition logic and uh and rhetoric how how would because i mean we take for granted uh, we know what it is but if it's not being taught and it hasn't been around right. for a while what how would you bring that down to the pedestrian level yeah so and put in the most uh simple terms right uh, grammar is a study of the structure of language uh, of how words and sentences and longer compositions like paragraphs and essays and so on communicate thought. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can even think of it as well on a little bit more of a metaphysical level of 
grammar being a way to echo in our communication the structure of the world which we experience uh, to bring mm. forward the the world as as encountered and communicate it through words logic uh, can be understood in many different ways but again to sort of give the, the introductory uh, description of it it's how we know that our our arguments and our ideas are sound and valid and that they really make sense that one idea really leads to another uh, that we can see the connections between the ideas that we have so more than anything else that we can uh, put together arguments which are coherent and convincing mm -hmm. that we can move from one thing that we've uh, realize that we know to another thing and see how they fit together uh, and then finally rhetoric is really that study of of how best to communicate the truth of these ideas in these complex social realities which we inhabit uh, and to communicate the truths of these ideas not merely in the moment not just to win an argument but so as to persuade someone to see and pursue and, and love the good. So the three things, grammar, logic, rhetoric, if someone wanted to just start, uh, what would be a good first, first class? Would they start with the grammar? Yes. Yeah. And in fact, we'll, we'll be starting an iteration of the grammar course uh, in the very beginning of January. Um, second week of January, we'll have uh, a Fundamentals of Grammar course, which is being offered. And then from there, they would do a logic, and then after that, rhetoric? Yes, and the way we have it structured right now is, yeah, we, we do one grammar course, one logic course, one rhetoric course, and then next year we'll do the more advanced courses in that same uh, threefold iteration. So okay. there will be a second grammar course more focused on, on composition, uh, a second logic course focused more on advanced argumentation and a second rhetoric course really focused on on uh, building out one's own persuasiveness uh, brad can can attest as he just took the rhetoric course that was offered this past fall that the wow. first was more about discerning the persuasiveness that others attempt to convey in their own arguments yeah and there's, there's a real art there hmm. debatable whether it's an art or a science right Dr. Kempel, but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's some way in which they're all arts and they're all sciences, yeah. but we have to start with the art because we need some concrete, practical experience with these things before we can understand how they they're really um, structured and really intelligible. Yeah, and I do want to put it out there that it's very affordable. So if anyone's thinking about signing up, and you get it's serious scholarship at a very affordable price, so. Now, Brad, does the tuition include that toga you were running around <laughs> with Saturday mornings during the... Uh... No, that was yeah. your own doing? Okay. Never mind. I'm trying to come up with a comeback, but I got nothing. <laughs> it's hard to it's have so a comeback to a field, toga, you know? right? <laughs> Doctor, when you were describing grammar, did I understand you correctly saying grammar is an expression of how we see the world? Uh, yeah, it's it's an expression of how we, we understand the relations of the parts that we experience in the world. So just a very simple example that we can think of. Um, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk, and as, as is usual, it's covered with books. Sure. Um, and so 
I say, okay, well, it's covered with books. Well, what am I doing with that word with? What does that word with signify? What does it bring forward? What am I expressing by that preposition? Well, it's a relation between the desk and the books. I wouldn't say it's covered by books. I mean, I might say that, but is that as, the, as accurate a way as saying it's covered with books? It's a little more ambiguous, I think. And so... Uh, so it's a, a, if I, a degree of precision is yeah. what you're driving at? Well, well gaining precision in, in our language helps us, I think, to understand better the the nature of the things around us that we see. Um, so actually, I think this is an example I used in, in the grammar course uh, um, earlier this year. Um, if I say that uh, I was hit with a bat, mm -hmm. there's a better example. That's a pretty clear sign that in most cases, somebody took probably a baseball bat and whacked me with it, mm -hmm. which, you know, there's a good chance I deserved. If okay. I said I was hit by a bat, right? if I was hit by a bat, well, now maybe there's a confusion, right? Because are we talking about the thing we use to play America's pastime, or are we talking about the flying nocturnal mammal? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, so well, that kind of equivocation, too, is what all my bad dad jokes are based off of. So <laughs> I think of the one Yes, yeah, so, so you can, if, if you study grammar, you can... Uh, roll your eyes even harder at brad <laughs> well he's got a bunch of well, them too i couldn't see where you know I, I couldn't figure out why that baseball kept getting closer then it hit me <laughs> my goodness <laughs> that dad joke oh <laughs> if you could see the eye rolls sign there, off of this right? interview <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good one so brad you had mentioned that these classes are affordable so i'm on the website right now under enrollment basic enrollment Ten dollars and fifty cents a month. Can that is that a typo? Is that right? No, that's not a typo. It's, Ten dollars exactly and right. fifty cents a month. That's yep. amazing. That's that's incredible. Just to get your grammar yeah, uh, uh, corrected. <laughs> <laughs> think about that. But think about all the time you waste scrolling through your Twitter feed and, and whatnot when you get on something like this where you're actually developing intellectual habits. That was mm -hmm. one of the draws for me was mm -hmm. I don't want to do this mind-numbing stuff. I get sucked into, you know, I'd, I'd even do little tricks like I'm going to let my phone get almost dead, put it on the charger, and have it stay on the charger, and then I have to stay and keep my nose in the book when I'm reading it, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But this, mm -hmm. this helps you do use the digital tools to develop intellectual habits which is mm -hmm. was a major draw for me as well mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so dr kempel can you talk about the how the lyceum has a social media feel to it yeah it, it, social media perhaps in in a more authentically social sense i think because so much of, of let's say social media as it's actually experience ends up producing in us rather anti-social tendencies. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of, you know, sort of pointless debates and, and political, uh, ideological, rah-rahing, uh, we have conversations about, you know, what interesting intellectual works have you read lately? Or mm. uh, what what's going on in, you know, the history of medieval philosophy? Or, um, you know, what do you all think of this um, piece of music? You know, let's what does it convey? How does it bring things forward to, uh, for, for your consideration? 
Um, and then we also have uh, we we have a weekly happy hour um, every Wednesday uh, for, for like it's, this already. It's an hour, yes, it, right. <laughs> Tell us more about this happy hour. <laughs> yeah, every Wednesday from uh, five forty-five Eastern time. So I guess uh, four forty-five standard to uh, that would be six fifteen uh, central. Central, I should say. Um, we have, and it usually goes longer than that, for that matter. Uh, we have a topic for the week um, where we maybe have a quick write-up, a few interesting things to read, and uh, we just kind of uh, sit around on a video call and, and chat about it. Uh, you know, what do, what do we think about, say, this, this past week we were talking about art and its interpretation. Uh, mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we interpret art? Or what uh, Can we interpret art other than the way the artist intended it and still find something true there? Um, this week we're probably going to be talking about the nature of work, what work really means, what it really is. Uh, but we do so in a pretty fun, you know, let your hair down casual kind of way. Uh, drinks not required, but recommended. Um, yeah, just, you know, it's not, this is the one thing that isn't recorded as well. So that, uh, the stupid mm. things I say after the second whiskey, you know, nobody, uh, can recall, <laughs> uh, so the topics are things like you had mentioned, art or work. Are they current events ever or not? Uh, every once in a while, if there's something that's that's really uh, kind of catches people's uh, attention, we'll focus on it. Um, but mostly with an eye towards uh, what's what's really enduringly mm -hmm. important about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think far too much of our lives is our 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 lives are sort of wrapped up in the moment mm -hmm. and it's nice perhaps to have a little bit of a an avenue to step out of that and, mm -hmm. and really just focus on the things that are seen uh, under the species of eternity mm -hmm. as the uh, poet might say yeah i was just thinking current current topics you know and then to kind of redirect them to the classical and what is it really at the basis of this that would be very helpful i would think because you would start mm -hmm. looking at your current events in a different way yeah yeah well for instance in a couple of weeks we're actually going to be having a conversation uh, about the university and education uh, in light of some recent things that have happened um, university of uh, west virginia for instance being uh, a big sort of school that's had some issues um, but yeah, we're, we're going to, to, you know, look at that, not so much in terms just of, okay, you know, let, let's rant about everything that's wrong with the university today. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there'll be plenty of that, but also, you know, what is education really for? What does it really mm -hmm. mean? Mm -hmm. uh, how do we really integrate it into our lives instead of allowing it to be just another instrument or means or tool that we use for something else? Mm -hmm. Our guest is... Dr. Brian Kempel of the Lyceum, and uh, we're about out of time here. We are. If people are interested in learning more, they can go online to lyceum.institute. That's L-Y-C-E-U-M dot institute. There's a ton of information on there. <clears throat> they can enroll, basic enrollment, $10.50 a month. Wow. If you like stuff. classical languages too, they're they're going to be starting to offer Greek as well. So Greek and Latin. So yep. yep. Greek great. starting in the summer. Excellent. Very good. What a great show! Uh, give us that that website again, Colleen. Lyceum.institute. You'll learn more um, about all of the classes that are offered, how to enroll, 
um, when they start. It sounds very fascinating. So, uh, Dr. Brian Kempel, we appreciate your being with us today and talking with us about the Lyceum Institute. Brad, thank you for the suggestion and the, um, that we cover this in a chatter. So, 108 has come to an end, Colleen. And it's hard we to believe. And right. in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory, Glory be, be to, to the, the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, and ever shall be. be world without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Tune in again next week. We love you.